And then um, Pastor Lisa has been my pastor, and it has really been her book, Linus Arising, that she spoke on yesterday at our amazing Arising Ladies Conference. Woo! Raise the roof. Um, let me just tell you a little testimony about that this morning. I had a friend who texted me and, um, and said that she had been really, God had been laying on her heart something that she wanted to be able to do um, at this detention center and lead a small group. And she said, as I was as listening to Lisa yesterday, it totally took the fear right out of her. And she was like, I know what I'm supposed to do. And so it was just, I, I was like, oh my gosh, it's just bigger than our church. It's way bigger. So um, Lisa Bevere has a worldwide ministry. When I say worldwide, she does. Uh, she and her husband have founded Messenger International. They have Pearl Alliance, which help res helps rescue um, women and children who have been sex trafficked. And she is making it happen. I'm telling you. Some good soil right there. So anyway, I just want to give her the maximum amount of time, and I want you to give the warmest Connect community welcome that you can give to Lisa Bevere, my pastor and mentor. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Okay, now I have to tell you something. I had somebody send me a text message this morning warning me about you guys. Somebody said, now, when you're speaking in Boston, you need to understand they won't make any noise. You need to understand they'll just be stone cold faces. But don't let it bother you. It wasn't your pastor. It wasn't my husband. It was somebody else that must have a very different church than this church. And so when I came in here, I was like, I'm not afraid. These people are happy. These people are here because they want to be here. And so welcome. I'm excited to be here. We did have a great, great day with the women yesterday. But I'm going to show you what my real world looks like. We're going to throw up a picture of my home run dynamic pretty much male dominated. I live with so many males. I think God has me travel and speak to women just to keep my estrogen levels balanced. But anyway, I am the mother of four sons. I have Austin right there. He is 23. No, actually, that's a lie. He turned 24 on Wednesday. He is 24 years of age. He is uh, amazingly brilliant. He graduated summa cum laude, double major. John and I didn't even know how to pronounce that. He had to teach us how to say that, but we're not stupid, so we hired him. And so uh, Austin works with us. And then next to him is Alec, and Alec is my 21-year-old uh, son, and he is crazy. He is a completely crazy son. He is my joy boy, but when I had the number third number three child, my whole world changed. Alec is one of the most entertaining people on the face of the earth. And I'm going to tell you a little something else about him in a moment when I show you another picture. Then I am holding my granddaughter, yay, Sophia Grace, standing next to my husband of 31 years this year. So I love that. And the great thing about that is I love my husband more today than the day I married him. And we should have legacies of love where every single year gets better. And there is my beautiful, beautiful daughter-in-law, Juliana. And Juliana is such a blessing in my world. You see all the testosterone. Well, the problem is they have leached that testosterone into my sofas at my house. And because of that, I am now growing chin hairs. And I am in my 50s, so I can feel them. 
but I can no longer see them. And so Juliana has promised to tweeze my chin hairs. And so she has been an incredible blessing in our family. And Juliana, I have a, a little bit of common heritage. Both of us are one-eighth Apache Indian. Why, after my son would grow up with a one-eighth Apache Indian mother, he would marry somebody else that was one-eighth Apache Indian, I'm not sure. But uh, we are, we're intense women. And then I have my firstborn son, Addison. He is 26, and he is all of the good and none of the bad of John and I. And he is actually our COO at our ministry. We love doing ministry with family. And then that tall one right there is my youngest son. And I told the women yesterday, I don't even feel safe in my house. To be honest with you, he's six foot three, and his favorite thing to do is pick up John or me, carry us through the house, and throw us on our bed. I, we, we have many conversations about why you don't throw people in their 50s, but he just loves being the biggest. He is constantly wrestling the three older brothers. I had told them, hey, I was told he was going to be big. You guys might want to back it off. When he was little, you guys picked on him. This is going to be revenge time, and it has become revenge time. He just recently won Tommy Barnett's Dream Center Golf Tournament. He's an amazing golfer, but his real passion is to preach. He has four messages prepared that he is offered to preach for our organization anytime we want to. We're like, wow, okay. We were terrified to preach, and he's like, you need to give me a platform. And he is holding my grandson, Asher. We're gonna show a little closer picture of Asher. Asher is three, and Asher is the firstborn grandson. And I know that John has been here before, right? Okay, I also know that he told you a lie when he was here. He is not the favorite grandparent. I am the favorite grandparent, and I should be the favorite grandparent because there is no better mothers or grandmothers than Italian mothers. We are the feeders. I get down on the floor with Asher. I play with him. I sing with him. I dance with him. I whip my hair back and forth for him. Anything Asher wants from G-Mama, Asher gets from G-Mama. John has told me to stop whipping my hair around because he said I am training, training him to like dangerous women. But the truth is... I am a dangerous woman. Go ahead and put up my bike. Okay, that is, that is my ninja. That is not John's. But I do have a sad story about my ninja. My 21-year-old son wrecked it. He did walk away after going 60 miles per hour and hitting a patch of sand and gravel. Walked away without a scratch. But I cannot say the same about my bike. And so I might just have to go back to hunting. I do have a 14 point buck on the wall of my office that I dropped. I hunt, I surf, I ski. I was made to be a mother of sons. And so then I'm gonna show you Sophia Grace a little closer. She just had her second birthday last month and she is in love with chocolate. You know, I kind of think that we thought when we got a girl, she would come in like this little sweet butterfly. I have to be honest with you, she's meaner than any of my boys ever were. She, is, she knows how to do a pterodactyl scream. She can go from happy to screaming and crying in, 30 seconds flat. I never saw any of my boys do that. They kind of worked up. And so having a female has been a real challenge. More than 50 years ago, the last one was born, and that was me. And so that is my world. And I show you this world because, to be honest with you, being a mother of sons made me want to be a better woman. I actually began to see how much distortion our world and our culture puts on male and female. If you look at what happens on almost every television program, 
you see that they dishonor the men and they sexualize the women. And we are people right now who must remember how important gender is because gender captures the image of God. God created us to express his image, express his heart on this earth, and yet our culture seems to be bent on trying to get the women to act more like men and the men to act more like women. And somehow they think we're going to reach this unity when we all are blurred together as she-men or men-women or whatever that would be. But the truth is, what makes us able to be one is the fact that we are different. Same doesn't equal one. Different equals one. And so I want to talk to you uh, what I believe is a very strategic message for this strategic season that you guys are in here in the New England area. As I told all of the women, you know, I have to be honest with you, I was here quite a while ago. Maybe I was in Boston, I think, with Women of Virtue, maybe 10 years, 12 years ago. And you guys were one of the places I was happy to leave. You were not a place I was happy to stay in. I was like, praise the Lord, I am leaving. I get to go back to the South where they're like excited. But when my feet began to walk on the soil of Boston area, and North, North, well, actually, it started last year when I came. But when I, uh, I was up in North Massachusetts somewhere, I don't even know where it is. It becomes a blur. But anyway, I felt that you guys are on the verge of harvest. And in harvest, you need to understand that we are all co-laborers and we are not competitors. And we need every person in their position of strength doing what they are called to do. So today I'm going to be talking to you about the power of being one. You know, I've learned that there's even prayers that Jesus has prayed that have not been answered. And one of these prayers is in John 17, verses 17 through 23. He's at the Last Supper and he prays, He's praying to his father, make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes. And I just want to pause right there. We consecrate ourselves not to earn our salvation. We consecrate ourselves for the sake of other people, so that no people would stumble over our lives and that they would hear the gospel, that we don't say one thing and live another thing. So there'll be truth. That actually means we live in such a way that there's no conflict, that we are truth, that what we say and what we do and what we live is truth, consecrated in their mission. Then he said, he's, he says, I'm not praying only for them. He's talking about his 12. I'm not praying only for these 12, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. Isn't that amazing? We were in that prayer. He is saying, I'm not talking about these 12 only. I'm talking about those who will believe because of them. Well, see, I need people to believe because of you. The goal is for all of them to become 
one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Because when this happens, it says, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. God is looking for a people who will live so one in heart and purpose. The expression will look different. It'll look different. You know, I get such a privilege that I get to go and worship with Russians, you know, and, and I remember when I was with the Russians, when I got done preaching, they gave me this big red velvet heart and they said, here, and I was like, okay, thank you. And they're like, open it now. I'm like, okay. So I'm like standing on the platform, I open it. You know, it didn't even feel like a gift, it felt like a punishment. I remember I opened it up and they said, this is so you know, Russians have a big fist and a big heart. And I said, okay, it looks very different. Christianity looks very different in Russia. It sounds very different in Russia, but they wanted me to know that they had one heart with me, even though the expression would look different. And we get tripped up when we look down at our nose and say, oh, they're not our DNA. I'm sorry, we're all the DNA of Jesus Christ. It might be a different expression, but we all better be in Christ. And so I want to talk to you, though, very practically about what this looks like. Jesus had a mission for his disciples, and God had a mission in the very beginning. And we find that very first mission in Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God saw everything he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So what does this tell us? It tells us that healthy God-blessed relationships, whether they be marriages or families or businesses or churches or schools, prosper, reproduce, invade space, displace chaos, fill the earth, take responsibility, and exercise authority. And when God saw the man and the woman together, he pronounced it so very, very good. He pronounced it excellent in every way. You know, there's actually an amazing study that was done by Boston University. Uh, the, I always think it's kind of funny when, um, you know, the university is like, you know, well, we're going to find out if what the Bible says is true. We're going to spend $10 million to find out through a lot of complicated science and research and a lot of man hours what we would have learned in one sentence in the Bible. But anyway, I guess Boston University wanted to do this massive study, whether it was really true, whether it was not good for man to be alone. You know, before there was a fall, there was a problem. And that problem was, it was not good for the man to be alone. Now, God didn't say the man wasn't good. He just said it's not good for him to be alone. 
Notice it doesn't say it's not good for women to be alone. It is good for women to be alone. Every mother here is like, yes. When my children were little, my husband would come up from a trip and I said, I just want to go to the grocery store alone. And he'd be like, that's not asking too much. I will watch the kids. You know, but the spa is a testimony to women. I just need to be alone. All right. The water closet is where I try to be alone. Do you know what that is? It's a toilet. Anyway, okay, so it doesn't always work. I, my boys would pass notes under the door. But anyway, they wanted to see through this incredibly scientific study if it was true that it was not good for men to be alone. And after this massive, you know, multiple year study, they discovered that the single most detrimental thing a man can do to his health is remain single. They discovered, she's like yelling this, okay. <laughs> okay, they discovered that married men live 10 years longer than single men. Heart disease shortens men's life by six years, but single, 10 years. I don't know why the girls are asking, acting desperate. It's not the girls that need to be desperate to get married. It's the guys that need to be desperate to get married because single women and married women die at the same age. They also found out that when a guy gets married, that somehow that woman adds earning potential to him at the same rate as four years of college. And if it wasn't, if he's already got four years of college as a two years master's program, whoa. They also found out when they talked to couples that were in a rough season and they said, I don't like my husband. I don't like my wife. I don't like my marriage. If that couple just waited five years, Five years later, they actually had a good marriage. You know, you can go through rough times, but when you make a commitment, you go through things instead of running away from things. Because they've also found that that second marriage usually has a higher divorce rate than the first marriage. So you're gonna have to face that problem at one point or another. I told my husband, because I am so amazing with a gun, that if he ever committed adultery, there would not be a scandal. There would be a sniper attack. That would all, I got way too much invested in my marriage to let some other woman come along and enjoy the benefit of it. Anyway, I am half Sicilian. So anyway, I said before you, life, death, blessing, cursing, choose life. That's kind of where I'm at with this. But anyway, so they found out that men and women do life well together. But I'm afraid for a really long time, especially in this nation, a lot of us have been raised by people that didn't know how to do marriage well. And so we are kind of having to make it up as we go along. But our marriages were never meant to be a power struggle. They were meant to be a power union. So now I'm going to get really honest with you so that you can laugh and maybe see yourself. 
My husband actually led me to the Lord on our very first date. I know that's supposed to be illegal, but I did go for it the first date. So anyway, he led me to the Lord on our very first date. And I remember, you know, I was in love with him. He was kind of my spiritual mentor. It was all great. We went to premarital counseling. We you know, dated for a year and a half, we went to premarital counseling. And I remember the counselor talking to us about, if you guys, when you guys fight, this is how you should fight. And we were like, we're never gonna fight. We are never going to fight. We don't disagree on anything. We love each other. Oh, we're so in love. That premarital counseling thing is for people who aren't like us. I mean, God put us together. We are two with one heart. You don't understand. We got married. And about four months into our marriage, something happened. I don't know. It was like I began to see my husband differently. I began to see all the flaws in his life. I, I saw all the things that his mother had not noticed for 22 years. He left the toilet seat up. He chewed with his mouth open. There was all these things. I don't know how I missed them. We were dating. But all of a sudden, I felt such an anointing on my life to change John from the man that he was to the man he possibly could be if he would just work with me. And at first I tried to be gentle with my input and then it became more and more forceful. But my husband is not a shrinking violet. And my husband is three quarters Italian, Dutch, and Irish. And he had had a vision of his own, vision of a sweet, submissive, supportive wife. And we began to fight like you cannot believe. You know, when you don't have children around to watch you, you will do a lot of stupid things. And I remember those first couple years of our marriage looked strangely similar to some of the scenes I've seen in WWF wrestling. I remember one time in particular, we were having a disagreement and John said, sit down. And I said, no. And he said, you're not leaving this room until we settle this. And he made a, an X out of his body and he blocked the doorway. What, what, do, you, what do you think that inspired in me? <laughs> Did I go, oh, okay, honey, I'll sit down. I backed up as far as I could, and I ran, and I tackled him. And I said, no man keeps me in a room I'm not wanting to be in. Another time we were having a little disagreement, and he said, sit down. Seems to be a common threat. Sit down. I said, no, and I started moving, and he pushed me to get me to sit down in the bed, but I was a little bit moving too much, and only half of one of my bottom cheeks made it to the bed, and I fell on the floor, and I came up, I can't find something to lift, but I came up with a lamp in my hand, <laughs> but, but not a table lamp, a floor lamp, I, a whole like, ah, and my husband went, oh my gosh, and, I, and he was like, what are you gonna do with that? I said. I don't even know how I got my hand. I mean, I was like standing there with a, a table lamp, I mean, a floor lamp over my head. And, and I just remember I slowly lowered it and like backed away from it. I was like, wow, that was scary. <laughs> Couple weeks later, I'm out with a girlfriend. I'm like, have you ever been in a fight with your husband? And all of a sudden you had like a, a lamp in your hands. And she's like, no. And I'm like, me neither. I would never. I would never do something like that. 
Sean and I are one heart, one heart. God's hand is on our life. And, you know, we seem to do a pretty good job at fooling everybody about that because we would go to church every Sunday morning fighting. You know, one of us was late or one of us was annoying the other one. Anyway, but as soon as we hit the church parking lot, we begin to wave like Ken and Barbie. Hi, praise the Lord. We would sit in church holding hands, and people thought we were being affectionate. They didn't understand that was nonverbal communication. If the pastor said, husbands, love your wives, my husband would get the hand squeeze. <laughs> if the pastor said, wives, submit to your husband, my husband would grab my knee. People would look at us and say, what an affectionate couple. <laughs> I see the hand of God hovering over their life. Yeah, he was getting ready to smack both of us up the side of the head. My favorite scripture at that time period, and you don't have to turn to it, was in Malachi 2.14, you are dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. And John's favorite scripture, and you don't have to look this one up either because I have it memorized, was Proverbs 21.9. It is better to dwell in the corner of a rooftop than with a nagging, fault-finding wife. <laughs> and I just was like, going to get on up there because I'm not stopping until I change you to the person I want to live with. Anyway, that was the first four years of our marriage. I've been married 31 years, okay? We were kind of like, this isn't any fun. It's no fun being an expert in each other's weaknesses. And we decided, we're going to stop this nonsense. But it felt like we were living in a, just like an aftermath. Broken windows, literally I did break one. Dented refrigerators, literally I did break dent two. Anyway, I, I won't tell John's sides of the stories, those are just mine. Anyway, um, it just felt like it was all around us. So four years of struggle, conflict. Four years of, we're not having conflict, but we're just kind of living in the aftermath. And at year eight in our marriage, we said, you know what? We're going to rise up, and we're going to begin to build. You know what? I had to become an expert in my husband's strengths. And so I had to learn how my husband heard my love for him. See, I took a love language test, but even before I identified it, I knew how I heard it. I love doing things with people and for people. So when my husband would leave for a trip, I would pull up the carpet and lay tile. He would come back home and he would discover a wife covered in grout saying, hi. And he'd be like, what a mess. And I thought he would say, here, I love you. My husband, and I just will make it really easy for all the guys here, and I think it's 98% of the men, don't hear I love you by what you do for them. They hear I love you by words of affirmation and physical touch. If you're married, that means sex. Okay, so I had to begin to speak my husband's love language because everybody 
deserves to be loved the way they can hear it. Men are really good at giving structure. And women are really good at something called nurture. When my boys were little, I invested hundreds, possibly $1,000 in Legos. I kept every single one of those, and it has earned me favorite grandmother you know, award. So anyway, but when my boys were little, John, we lived in Orlando. He would land in Orlando. He would call me. This is before cell phones. I know. That's how old I am. They, he would call me, and he would say, babe, I'm on my way home. What was he really saying? Sweetheart, I know you have no concept of time. I know our house is a disaster. You have 45 minutes before I arrive home. Please do something about all of that. So I would hang up the phone. I'd be like, boys, oh my gosh, dad's on his way home. Put on clothes. And I would like go running and, you know, brush my teeth and do whatever needed to happen, straightening up the house. And um, then my boys would be like, we want to build something for dad. And so they would make these Lego towers. It was all about how tall these towers were. And John would come in, and he would look at these towers and be like, oh, that's amazing. And I had to learn from being a mother of men that men are okay with somebody losing. Women are not okay with that. My husband explained to me that every boy's dream is to make his father proud and beat him at something. And so I was like, okay. So they would, like, you know, be doing the contest, and they would be like, you know, wow, look at this. And then they'd be like, watch. They'd get a car out of, you know, the toy box, they'd back it up, and they'd crash it into the tower. It was all about how big and then crashing it down. One time, and it was only one time, I was allowed to babysit my friend's daughter. And she came over to my house, and I put her down on the floor, and she didn't build towers. She built rooms. And she put, like, tables and chairs and beds and the girl Lego dolls that never got played with into these rooms. And they interacted. My boys were great with driving cars without people in them. They were like, oh, they're just, you know, doesn't, doesn't have to be a person involved, you know, unless you were, like, fighting. And so anyway, I remember my boys watching her in horror because she was making the Lego people hold hands. <laughs> And then she somehow knew that she had some kind of in with this. And she took the Lego man, and she took the Lego woman, and she made them kiss. My boys were like, ah, we're going to have to burn those Legos. <laughs> well, see, you guys are on harvest. And it does no good to build a house big if you don't also build it safe. Men build big. Women build safe. And in the house of God, we need to put some people down for naps. And we need to have some people hold hands at the table. And maybe some people just need to even kiss in the house of God. I'm not talking about making out. I'm just talking about kissing in the house of God. If we are going to see God begin to do things. The man guards the house. The woman guards the heart. The man has external strength. The woman has internal strength. The man is strong extending the boundaries. The woman is strong establishing and holding things near. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20 said, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, 
giving the world a fresh start by the offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us, this is what we get to do. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. Notice it doesn't say telling everyone what they're not allowed to do. Notice it doesn't say tell everyone what we are doing. It says tell everyone what he is doing. God uses us. This is how he wants to use us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We can preach all we want, but if we do not love well, if our children are not loved well, if our wives are not loved well, if our husbands are not loved well, if family is not honored in the house of God, if we do not love our community, then everything we say cannot be heard. I believe that God is going to cause you guys to be persuasive influencers in every aspect of your life. Not just your marriages, but your families, and the way you exemplify what it looks like to be a Christian. 1 Peter 3, 7 says that the man and the women are joint heirs of the grace of life. Grace is an empowerment to do life well. We have been graced with this amazing gospel. So we need to let it transform us so that we begin to reach out and touch other people. So I want to do something. At the close of my time, I want to actually pray with you guys. First, I want to pray for every married couple that's here. If you're married, can you just stand to your feet right now? Just go ahead and do that. And if your husband's here or your wife's here, if, you, if your spouse isn't here, this is going to be awkward. But <laughs> just, you can just sit down and close your eyes if your spouse isn't here. But anyway, if you're, if you're married and your spouse is here, and I want these married people to actually look at each other. I don't know why it gets so uncomfortable. You guys sleep in the same bed. I actually want you to look at each other. And I'm going to have the women start first because we've been pouring into them all weekend. I want the women to look at their husband and say, sweetheart, I found out that I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> Forgive me for not acting that way. From now on, I'm going to be an expert in your strengths. I'm going to multiply everything you give me. In Jesus' name, you are a sexy hunk of man. All right. No, they love to hear that. Okay. All right. Okay, guys, look at your wife and say, you're right. You are the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for adding 10 years to my life. I'm going to use my strengths to cause your strengths to flourish. Now, I want to look at all of you, and I want you to hear me. Listen, I had a little Sicilian grandmother who had a mustache. And on my, okay, she wasn't little. She was like 300 pounds. Anyway, she was short. I had a short, very large Sicilian grandmother with a mustache. And I remember, I remember when I was leaving to go on my honeymoon, she grabbed John and I, and with her thick accent, she said, you never go to bed angry with each other. And you know what? 
The Bible also says you never let the sun go down on your wrath. And I know that there's been times I've said we started fighting after dark. I have till the next day. But that's really not the way you want to live. I want you to step away from this time period with every debt canceled. Stepping into a new season. A new beginning. May you be two with one heart. May God begin to bless your lives and your family and your marriages. That's my timer. Like you never even imagined was possible. I believe that you are strategic couples in a strategic season. So rise up and flourish in Jesus' name. I want all the young people 30 and under stand up. I'm going to pray over you. Pastor Stacy can come on up. Look at me. I'm so excited about, and yay, if you're married, that's fine. You can still stay standing. Okay, look at me. You're a prophetic generation. And I believe that you guys are created for signs, wonders, and miracles. May you see up close what the rest of us have only seen at a distance. May you touch with your hands what the rest of us only dared handle in prayer. May you speak out loud what your parents only dared to whisper. May you be a generation of signs, wonders, and miracles. May God align you with soulmates who multiply your life. I break the assignment of the enemy against your life. May you rise up strong with the blessing of a grandmother in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last thing I want to do... I want to say how proud I am of Stacy, how proud I am of Derek and what they want to do in this church. I, I don't know if, if you are maybe deciding whether you want to plan or not in a church, but I think this is excellent soil to not just visit, but to plant. And you will never regret planting in the house of God because those that plant in the house of God, not transplant every couple of months, but plant, they watch their lives flourish in Jesus name. We have a resource out there for you guys. We have the fight like a girl book. We have the fight like a girl bracelet. We have the fight like a girl, I mean, a two with one heart CD. And we have a free download because everybody has a friend that needs to hear that message. And so we put it together, discounted it for here. You know what? Guys, if I were you, I'd buy this for your woman. Because the Bible says wise women build the house. So why do men build their women? So it's been an honor and a privilege to speak to you today. God bless you. Give it up for Pastor Lisa Bevere. Awesome. An anointed woman. I mean, as she was praying over this next generation, I was getting emotional. I was just like, oh, this is it. You know, and that's what she has a ministry to, to touch three generations that are all together. You know, and, and to, to build the house that way. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're standing. I just, I don't want to take the opportunity to say that, um, you know, what she's talking about, what my, my mom used to say, God's biggest job is to make two become one. You know, and, and it's not a big job for him. But we look at, we see it as, man, it's a big job to get these two, husband and wife, to become one. And so sometimes, you know, you need a little extra help. And our, our Lord and Savior is that help. And, and he, he died on the cross for our sins, yes, but he died on the cross for, for us to have power 
in our lives. And the, sometimes the only way we can have that is when we have him. So I want to just ask, invite you, I, I'd like for everybody to close your eyes. And I want to invite those of you who have never given the Lord Jesus the opportunity to become the Lord of your life. I want to give you that opportunity now. Something may be tugging on your heart. You feel like your heart's racing. And that is the, that is the call of God saying, I want to be the Lord of your life. And if you've never had that opportunity, never given him that opportunity, I'd like for you to just raise your hand and I want you to look at me and so that we can just know and we can have that moment together between me, you, and God that you are giving your life to Christ. Is there anybody that wants to do that for the first time, give your life to Christ? I see a hand, that, hand in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. I just just like for you to repeat after me. We're going to pray with this person in the back that, that raised their hand to be able to give their life to Christ. You know what? The angels are rejoicing in heaven when somebody says, I want to give my life to Christ. So just pray with me and, and this uh, sister at the back. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your help in every aspect of my life my relationships, my marriage, my work, everything, Lord, I give to you. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for forgiving me and making me new. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.